Happy Zion Williamson Day to you and yours. Danny, we got a lot to get to on this show. We'll do some news at the end. Got our last trade preview to get to, including these very same Pelicans. Uh, But first, uh, we know what you're here to listen to. Let's talk about Zion Williamson's debut here. It was incredibly memorable for the fact that he played at the start of each quarter in these four minute stints for the fact that the last of those ended with 17 points in three minutes including scoring on six straight possessions and then he had to be taken out due to the minutes limit which i admire their intestinal fortitude even if it wasn't particularly fun uh, for everyone in the arena at the time but hopefully much more to come from williamson what was your initial takeaway after seeing this explosion in the fourth but just uh, all the minutes that he played tonight 18 in total before the fourth i i thought it was you know he he looked a little bit below you know like below 100 you know that he was still getting into shape looked a little bit uncomfortable on that leg and that's not a surprise and when you consider that new orleans was hoping you know hoping that he would get back as soon as it was as soon as he was ready to and everything like that but in the fourth it was holy crap zion williamson has an almost set shot three that looks really good and it, i completely understand san antonio leaving him open because at least on the first couple because that wasn't exactly a part of the scouting report but he looked so comfortable shooting that shot and i just i mean think about how much time we spent not comparing them as players but talking about if Giannis could ever develop something like that and then it's like zion looked more comfortable with that shot and we just hadn't seen it before it was thrilling yeah it was pretty ridiculous for me i can't say that that particular aspect of it really changes how i felt about him and the jumper i mean certainly never i don't think he ever made four threes in a game at duke he certainly didn't go four for four in fact i don't think any rookie has ever gone four for four from three in their debut uh but you know the form didn't look that different to me he still had some ugly misses at the foul line now he is with miracle worker fred vinson who's done amazing things with lonzo ball and brandon ingram so i'm not going to put it past him that he could be improved as soon as now and uh, at some point in the future but it was still like a real line drive to me they were going in but it wasn't like the cleanest of makes Uh, until further notice i'm not gonna change my prior much about his jump shot it was an awesome incredibly memorable run it was a ton of fun i'm glad it happened hopefully other teams will see this and start to give him some gravity and he can blow by them more but uh, i'm very interested to see if the scouting report changes on him at all because the the spurs didn't change it even after the first three makes uh, with Pirtle guarding him and him playing center so i can't say that that enters into me that much uh, other than just the sheer memorability of the run which is awesome uh, as far as what i think he he is going to be going forward here at least not quite yet so i'll push a little bit because he was so comfortable shooting it and Zion from what I remember of his film at Duke he would take them but it always seemed like he's like well I could do something else you know that's sort of an idea but also uh, on some there were some of the other moments yeah the Spurs going zone I think kind of yes like gave him license in his own mind to take them sure um but the other the two-pointer he had during that stretch that was where Pirtle blocked his first shot zion kind of scrambles gets the ball and gets over to the other end that, before that was the most impressive play of the night right. to me yeah because he the way zion moves in tight spaces especially when you consider his size 
is is jaw dropping, and that's a part of what drew both of us to him originally. I mean, even going back to going back to when I when I saw him in Long Beach at like sixteen or whatever it was, and you you there were moments of that, and there were also moments where I thought in the first quarter, Derek Favors was the Pelican who went off early in Zion's first stint, but I thought a lot of that was due to the attention that Zion was generating, and so Favors was getting those clean looks, floater range around the basket, and those weren't always there before the attention that Zion was generating, and so I thought that was another spillover positive though there were some negatives on the other end of the four to be sure yeah we'll we'll get to those let's uh we'll try and stay positive here for, at first I, I think one thing that i talked about and I actually re-listened to the pod that we did for his draft preview is that there used to be this olympic event called the broad jump where you would just stand on two feet and try and jump as far as you could with no momentum and he would be a gold medalist in that event like he the play with Pirtle where he gets blocked and the ball is in the air and before it even comes down he jumps goes and gets it on the other side of the rim and lays it in before anyone knew what had happened and then the other play he got the first bucket the offensive rebound he's on the right side of the basket the shot is missed to the left side and he just jumps from the right side of the basket to the left side most people have to run over there and then jump and he just beats everyone to the ball and lays it in. i mean that was when you saw the baseline angle on that how impressive it was so and then his passing was really good that was the other takeaway that i had he had a beautiful dime out of the post to brandon ingram which was a uh, you know that was really like passing him open like ingram was in between two players he threw it a little earlier than normal got it right on his hands there had a beautiful dime in transition to etwan moore set up a few other threes he was a willing passer he throws his passes with a lot of steam on them that's something that we've we've talked about a lot here did have one player where he got an offensive foul and he missed wide open Nikhil alexander walker in the corner but overall i thought the passing was really good so that those are the things that, that i liked i agree with you that he didn't look as explosive as in the preseason you know he wasn't able to just go through yaka Pertle the way he was going through rudy gobert in the preseason and for sure he's got to get his sea leg it's going to take him a while to get into rhythm then he's going out of the game uh so uh, and just normally when you come back from a surgery it takes a while john morant is looking a lot better now than he was at the start of the season explosively coming off of his knee surgery as well which is a similar level of surgery um what else you got here i was offensively most intrigued by the minutes when zion played center my belief is that the end game is that but you know defensively there were all there were always concerns not only because young guy going into the nba whatever his height whatever his physical attributes there there are going to be a lot of adjustments when you adjust to the caliber of athlete and i mean as much off time as zion has had but he wasn't as much of an impediment you know around the rim there were plays where i think it was Derek white and derozan got through him he did have one nice contest on a derozan derozan drive drove in and then tried to get into a fadeaway that was in that kind of in the fourth quarter run I thought he did a better job on that possession and the Zion defensive acumen was a revelation when we watched film on him last year but that first of all the physical aptitude and the development is going to take time if it comes at all yeah you mentioned that one play that was a play where DeRozan had gotten by him uh on his own man and eventually he came back when he was able to get a little bit of a contest other than that play he did made about 10 bad defensive plays and zero good ones it was really really bad and all right I'm not killing him I'm not saying he's not going to get better you know we're just talking about this is what was on film in this one game this doesn't mean that he's always gonna suck or anything like that this is just an honest description of where he is right now and where he needs to get better and to me he didn't make one help rotation at the rim all night there the two periods where he was playing center they got completely lit up i mean even during that crazy run they made up some ground but not 
as much as you would expect because San Antonio was getting layups every time on the other end and you know I think they wanted to have him at center when Aldridge was out of the game so he would be spared that matchup and Aldridge went crazy in this one uh but conventional pick and roll defense really really struggled at Derek White had that blow by him that that you referenced a bunch of plays where he's just kind of sticking to his own man but sticking to his own man 15 feet away from the rim as uh, the guy just goes in for a layup uh there are play, two plays in the first half where they had to call timeout in his stint when right after he moved to center where he's guarding Pirtle and Pirtle is kind of jogging down the floor and he's just standing next to Pirtle and guys are just going in for layups behind him like you're the only big on the floor like you got to get back and protect the rim in a transition or semi-transition situation and Jakob Pirtle isn't gonna like jack a three from the top of the key you know you just let guys dribble right by him never reacted he just doesn't have the help instincts that he needs doesn't have the pick and roll instincts that he needs at this point in time so if you're going to play him at center and i was surprised that they didn't play him at all with melly i thought that even melly could just you know play as more of a center than him and take a little of that responsibility off of him defensively uh i think that really if he's just like all right you're just gonna switch you're gonna try and stay in front of your man maybe he has a chance there if he's playing at power forward maybe there's a chance although that obviously is not going to look nearly as good offensively playing next to hayes or favors which he did some of the time but it was a real struggle for him defensively I mean there really were just like eight or nine possessions where you're like yeah that was your job to get there and you just didn't uh so that's uh again this is his first game he the team defensive instincts were never amazing to me at Duke as a help defender really more of a switch guy opportunistic steals that kind of a thing chase down type of blocks rather than just your run of the mill get over there get your chest out on verticality contest so he's got a long way to go is it going to take him now he has the physical tools you think he doesn't have long arms but you know he can move his body really well and he can jump obviously is it take him two weeks does it take him two years does it take him even longer than that I don't know the answer to that but I think it's going to be really hard for them to play him at center and survive especially though they didn't do him any favors either that's the other thing well uh, and part of that was not playing favors but they literally didn't do any favors because he was playing with like josh hart as the four next to him like maybe he would have a chance at center if you've got a little more size out there or like holiday and you know ingram had his own struggles defensively in this game but he at least has some size again um if you're expecting him to anchor a unit with four guards around you i mean that's it's just not gonna be possible for for them to defend in those type of units agreed and i'm really excited to see what zion's development is over the course of this abbreviated year and i mean he was you said the team the team instincts weren't great and i agree with that but he did have some nice individual plays at duke and so i think some of that will come as he gets more physically comfortable and everything else but it is amazing when you think about how differently i mean the first because i watched the first three quarters and actually because i was at chase heard what happened in the fourth before i saw it myself and seeing the excitement and everything else like that was fantastic and then and then watching it and and it it was great and i'm so happy for the league and for him and for pelicans fans that it happened it would have been great if it was started in october but he hopefully has a long career ahead of him and this was a great way to start it yeah a few other thoughts on here it's going to be really hard to reintegrate him especially with this weird thing where he's starting but he's only playing 20 minutes and he obviously was upset that he had to go out that wasn't his decision alvin gentry wasn't happy about it either they're doing the right thing i mean this reminds me of 1986 with michael jordan when he comes back from the broken foot and he was on a crazy minutes limit as well and and was playing really well and for him to have to go out after 
that run was really a bummer i'm sure for everyone in the arena and the team and they ended up losing and maybe if he stays in they would have won i i'm not necessarily sure about that because uh they're getting lit up on the other end at the same time but the fit is going to be difficult we talked about how you know if you play him at center and they don't really have a great defender to play next to him at power forward it's going to be a struggle defensively they don't have much size to play outside of him and then offensively we saw he had a couple of turnovers where there just wasn't the space when he's playing next to the traditional center if he can shoot the ball passively like this uh, that helps a little bit with that but alvin gentry's rotations i think are are really kind of messed up now when you have a guy that you're starting but you're only playing 20 minutes and then you're gonna you know you're gonna play him for four and rest him for eight i mean it's really hard to build a cogent rotation like that and it's just it's kind of a distraction to the team as well i mean imagine how you would feel as one of the other pelicans not that they're jealous or anything but just that there's this crazy excitement for him and he's playing 20 minutes and he did this but you know he's not playing most of the game and he's not playing at the end but yet you know the fans aren't as into it in the, as the, at the end as they were in the beginning and so again this is all really good for him but i think there are going to be some growing pains here as far as like the pelicans actually winning basketball games uh, as he gets reintegrated that's totally fair and we'll i mean the margins here could be pretty tight i mean how much Derek favors plays the rest of the season and all those other things but and and there are more important things for the pels than making the playoffs but yeah i mean that definitely could be a, a ramification of this integrate any player is 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 tough but zion is an unusual one in both his strengths and his weaknesses so that's even more challenging yeah and and the fact that he's such a a phenomenon as well and that he's so important to the franchise and and brandon ingram has blossomed more than anyone thought that he would during this time uh drew holiday really was an offensive afterthought after he completely destroyed memphis in their previous game so they got a lot to work on here and there are some interesting pieces around him and, and i think ultimately you know we may see that finding that miles tenor or that miles turner brooke lopez type of center is eventually what they need but you know again we're, we're way too early on here a uh, couple other notes that i had because i did watch the rest of this game and other players did play in this game besides zion williamson Boo. <laughs> i mean i did the work i might as well tell you about it lamarcus aldridge 32 points 12 of 20 the way that he is spacing the floor though is even more important DeRozan looked really unstoppable at times Derek white looked really good in this one i thought uh, with 12 points and seven assists and he was able to get to the rim he's a hard straight line driver kind of malcolm brogdon like uh, in that way and with Aldridge spacing out to three, they're able to play some more units where they actually had DeRozan at the four. Both teams were pretty small and Murray and White both playing together. And that's not an alignment they're going to be able to go to with regularity, but against the Pels, you can get away with that. And yeah, this Spurs offense looked really, really good. And so much of it is Aldridge spacing out. And then they also were able to go to him in the in the post. And he, even though Favors, I thought, was playing pretty decent defense, he was questionable, by the way, coming in with uh, more of those posterior chain issues and looked like he went to the ground late in the game and was kind of uh, gingerly moving around after that. But Aldridge was creating that space in the mid-range, getting to the bucket. He got seven of eight from the foul line, took enough threes to keep the defense honest. And, and you saw the number of layups that the Spurs were getting in part because Aldridge uh, has even more gravity now uh, and a, a big ass to guard him. So uh, Jakob Pertl continues to look very good defensively at the rim. I mean, he only plays 13 minutes in this game because Aldridge was on fire and they don't play those guys together anymore. Uh, but, you know, I thought he had a couple of nice possessions defending Zion. Brandon Ingram, you know, even in the first quarter, like three or four pretty ugly 
plays where he just got beat lost his man didn't make a rotation really struggles to get over a screen i mean he's he's kind of very andrew wiggins like defensively where i think people tend to overrate him because if he's just straight up one-on-one with a guy in an iso he actually can look okay but really just about any other aspect of defense he's not contributing at a particularly high level Nikhil alexander walker is slowly starting to look more comfortable he only played five minutes but i think he's just a little bit more under control than he was yeah the part of it was you know he was negative nine i didn't think a lot of that was his fault that was during that second zion stint when they just weren't really able to get back on defense and lonnie walker just i mean he's not playing a huge role right now with 13 minutes and bellinelli actually had a good game but uh played more than him and it's hard to find minutes for walker even in this new bigger spacing era for the spurs but i mean that guy is really really explosive when he gets to the basket and jumps off that left leg so i i do think he has a a future it's just hard for him to really show a ton of growth right now with this group the spurs have around him uh and finally lonzo continues to play pretty well with uh 14 points four of eight three of six from downtown but 12 assists for him and i think even more than the fact that he's shooting a higher percentage to me he's really attacking the basket more and doing it to pass been a little more of a threat even like drove and got four free throw attempts in this which is like that's a, a ton for him but the way he's actually attacking and pick and roll taking guys off the dribble just the overall aggressiveness and he's another guy who just it's taken him a while i think to shake off the rust from that really very devastating ankle injury that cost him about eight months really of on-court time uh a year ago so yeah i mean this pal's future extremely bright we're going to talk about that tomorrow when we uh discuss the best young cores in the nba but i i do foresee some growing pains here uh over these next few weeks as zion gets reintegrated hopefully as he's able to play more minutes then those will ease a little bit so let's talk a little Southwest Division now, and I think the place to start is after the news of Dwight Powell's almost certainly season-ending injury. The Mavs are in the market for a big man. I, I had thought they might have a quieter deadline because they're a younger contender, but it, it seems now like they really need someone who can be a dive man to unlock uh, that same ability that Powell had. That They might not be able to do that because Powell is one of the best in the nba as a dive man he's had this experience in rick carlisle's system but someone who can go up and get an alley-oop would seem to be their first need or maybe a different sort of center let's talk about that right now the mavericks are 12 million below the tax and they do have a couple of tools that could be used to bring in a center i had hoped that it could they could use those to add depth to the rotation this is a different way to to accomplish that goal and they kind of have a big one and a a slightly smaller one so the the bigger salary tool is courtney lee so courtney lee is an expiring contract he makes 12.8 million this year and i assume teams would basically treat him as dead money but that could be a mechanism for bringing in somebody with a longer contract and and then the other tool is the remainder of the harrison barnes trade exception that is 11.8 million dollars reminder that those two things cannot be combined you can't take courtney lee's 12 million and that and that extension to get into the 25 30 range though maybe dallas could get there a different way and the beauty of a trade exception is that it can be any amount up to that so if it was a five million dollar guy or a six million 
million dollar guy, you could do that. But if it was closer to that 11, 12 million, if the team was willing to do it, you'd like to use Courtney Lee if, if the Mavs could pull it off. And they are part of the reason that's an issue is because they're asset poor at the moment. They already owe those two first to the Knicks in 21 and 23, plus their 2020 second to Philly. They do have a couple extras. That Golden State one in 2020 is by far the best of those options. So there are kind of, uh, there are different types of centers, but the way that I'm thinking about this is more like a buyout guy. So a player and team that their marriage is either at an end or the team would just rather get off their money rather than a real value add, partially because Dallas can use the resources other places and partially just because the real value adds probably aren't going to get traded or not for what Dallas can offer. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, they've got the that uh, pick Golden State second, which uh, I think could be pretty valuable. And that's probably going to be either the number one or number one or number two pick in the second round. Remember, there's no lottery for the second round. Uh, you know, who knows how well they'll start playing when Steph Curry comes back. That could change things a little bit. I, I don't happen to think so because they're, uh, they're pretty bad uh, so far this year. The other thought is that maybe you do want to get someone and maybe this is what that second rounder would be for someone who could be your starting center next year too because Paul I mean he's going to miss a year who knows what he's going to look like when he comes back you can't really count on him for next year so uh, there's a thought that maybe it could be kind of a a bigger trade um and if you're willing to part with that golden state pick maybe you can actually get someone who'd be good for you next year who's under contract again there's not that many of those guys but perhaps worth considering or someone trading for someone under their full salary that you could re-sign with some bird rights uh you want to spitball some names here? Yeah, my list was kind of split in two. You have the lower cost players and then the upper cost guys. I'm not going to get into the, the asset returns, but I'll start with the higher ones. And I think here, Mark Cuban's willingness to spend could end up being really beneficial. So these are the higher end guys. They aren't bad players. They're just overpaid. And so maybe those teams would just rather be off their long-term money. And for me, that list is Cody Zeller, Julius Randle, Dwayne Dedman. Those are the three. Kelly Olynyk could potentially be there different type of big but I mean certainly somebody Rick Carlisle could use and I don't exactly know oh yeah and the Gorgie Jen could be another one and some of those I think the teams the the trading partner might actually give up assets to get off of those players and then other ones it would be probably more of a, a straight salary dump without assets going one way or the other yeah Zeller is interesting presumably Courtney Lee would be traded for him if they do that then they could also well let's see now Zeller does not fit into the Barnes trade exception he's a little big for that so if you could trade Lee for someone who would fit into the Barnes trade exception you could then roll that trade exception over for another year by creating a new one Zeller is not the spectacularly athletic finisher at the rim he also has intermittent availability due to health but he is an excellent screener he'll give you some verticality contests at the rim also has some mobility to get out on the floor if you want to play him with Kristaps Porzingis you know I think he's a little better than Powell defensively uh and he's not a terrible finisher but again he's been uh I mean pretty amazing it seems like he's been around for 47 years he's only 2013 draft uh but that's a thought I mean it does seem like he's a little overpaid for next year so you don't necessarily want to just take him just uh, as part of the overall asset play another name obviously that has been talked about a little bit is Andre Drummond and if you look at free agent centers who might be available this summer the Mavs are basically going to be limited to the mid-level exception likely this summer 
I'm sure they would love to get their hands on, say, a Derek Favors, but doesn't look like he's available for New Orleans. Unclear whether Favors would be, yeah, I could actually, we'll see how he plays with Zion, but considering how much better they've been with Favors, I could see him coming back for to New Orleans with bird rights for maybe a little bit more than that mid-level exception. Your free agent centers this year, not an amazing group. I mean, you've got Serge Ibaka, Marcus Gasol, Ennis Cantor, potentially with a player option. So is Drummond better than those guys? that's tough to say i think he's some of those other guys might be a little bit better defensively like ibaka or gasol or favors but drummond's offensive rebounding would add a, a new element and he has worked very well as a pick and roll guy before the question is whether he's still at that level or not from an athleticism standpoint if they wanted to do a drummond trade well they could trade courtney lee and dwight powell <laughs> that that would get them there pretty much uh in terms of the salary but i don't i don't know if detroit how detroit would feel about that i mean powell is out this year largely out next year and then still has two more after that which he could end up being worth that contract but we just don't know i mean i didn't think he would be even before the achilles issue so i i i'd be skeptical but no i think that at that point though there would be an asset and also like everyone in the mavs organization just loves powell so much it's hard to necessarily see him getting traded tim hardaway you would have thought maybe it would be for him more of a salary balance type guy he is making 20 million this year and 19 next year but he's really good for them and i do have a lot of skepticism about his ability to hold up defensively as you get later into the playoffs seth curry maybe could also or daylon wright could maybe start to get you there as well detroit might actually have some interest in wright as a point guard and right has proved a tough fit to play together with Doncic due to his limited shooting ability he's kind of kind of been limited more to a a backup point guard role when Luka is off the floor of late so the the question is do you think Drummond would be a good fit or would you be going after him I guess your other problem with Drummond is he's not really under contract for next year unless he plays bad and then you wouldn't want him necessarily at that number so that's your other issue well he's not going to want a one-year contract that's the other thing like if the idea is to have a well he may he may may be on it yeah, that's true. Uh, I don't love... Well, may- maybe what you do is you say, hey, you know, we're a contender. You want to come here, you got to opt in. May- maybe you, you that's the nature of the talks. It, it um, could be. For me, the, the matching salary makes that a harder pill to swallow because Dallas doesn't really have the right type of player there. They like a lot of the mid-level salaries they have. So if you can't do, do it for Courtney Lee, I'm a lot less interested. One that I think will get a lot of attention and is compelling for a couple different reasons, is Dallas product Julius Randle. Randle is poorly cast on the Knicks, just like every Nick, pretty much. And <laughs> I, I think that his <laughs> his contract is is onerous for next year. Remember, Randall is the only Nick that got a significant guarantee for next year, $18.9 million. Then he has that $4 million partial guarantee for 21-22. So I would say that, to like to be that's overpriced, but maybe the Knicks would have an interest in getting off of it. It would, um, you know, they could kind of save face a little bit, get a lot more flexibility. And for Dallas, I mean, Randall is flawed defensively you and i have both had our issues there but as a role man it, it could be a just a, a really dynamic fit and he fits the contract structure pretty well yeah and randall has not had premium coaching yet i think he can't be effective as a switch guy next to porzingis i like his fit reasonably well although randall is not necessarily the go up and get an alley-oop type of guy he's more the make a play on the short roll type of guy and if he's not involved in the action 
his shooting is very suspect even Powell had taken a few steps forward with the jump shot this year I'd put Randall below Powell as a shooter at this point I don't necessarily care for that one I think this you could look at this as Dallas even if you're not going to have a center who's going to be as good offensively as Powell as a chance to upgrade defensively a couple other thoughts here if you wanted to go a little bit lower level of player I think Kem Birch would be a really nice fit the problem is he's actually starting right now in Orlando at power forward but he's not really playing much backup center they're going to Mo Bamba there he might be superfluous now and he's under contract for next year do you want to go with a that Golden State second for him that seems like a bit much uh Detroit's Christian Wood would be another thought Wood does provide some shot blocking he might be my favorite honestly he might be the guy yeah he's I mean can you play him with with Porzingis though defensively I think Powell has more mobility than him I mean again I didn't like Powell that much defensively that you definitely would have more room protection but you know Wood is just I could see Rick Carlisle growing frustrated with him (laughs) we'll put it that way yeah (laughs) rumor has it he grows frustrated with people pretty easily I'd never experienced that personally but uh it's just something you see in the media from now now and again um yeah I I just think would the the dynamism that he could bring to their offense would be would be pretty damn exciting um um, they could they could even do kind of more it, it, they could do a more of a lottery ticket type thing with Sheikh Diallo or Thon Maker Chris Boucher would be would be interesting as well um yeah depending. I mean it's rare that guys for, and from even good teams will get traded Correct. in this sort of a yeah a and move. and he's not a perfect fit but Taj Gibson probably gettable with that with the Harrison Barnes trade exception very mar- marginal guarantee for next year but if things go well I could see Dallas guaranteeing that they don't really have much spending power to deal with anyway so that could work and then maybe use Courtney yeah. Lee's contract to get somebody else can you could go in that direction yeah I mean Gibson though it, it, it's tough offensively because he's not right. really at this point in his career a good role man he doesn't shoot it you know he's going to really compromise your offense position now it's good to have a a potential defensive option you know it'd be nice if this were Taj Gibson from four years ago sure but still yeah I mean it you know this is this is a situation where Gibson Wood Birch I mean maybe that's like Dallas's own second instead of the Golden State second and you know that's that's when they probably can feel free to give up you know a second rounder in the 50s for something like this uh yeah have we mentioned the name Willie Clay Stein yet we have not he has a player option for next year at a price that I'm sure Dallas would be okay with I don't know how the Warriors are feeling about that they have so many centers in it trading Collie Stein would open up wiggle room under the lecture tax they could bring I believe if they traded him or Birch or sorry Alec Burks they could bring up both Kai Bowman and Marquise Chris so if they like Chris better than Collie Stein then that could be a mutually beneficial trade yeah Burks even could be helpful now well Dallas has a roster yeah. spot issue I mean so they because they have 15 15 guys on roster right now you know, I think they could do without Isaiah Roby or Ryan Brokoff if yeah. it comes down to it it comes down to it certainly yeah. broke off um Roby they drafted in the second round gave him two guaranteed years I'm guessing they're not moving off from him unless there's a damn good reason yeah and, and everyone else on this team is pretty useful um you know and Lee Courtney Lee couldn't really be taken back uh with the hard cap issues for Golden State they are uh very limited there but yeah I mean the Golden State second for Burks and Cauley sign too much 
I think it's too much. Um, I think they could use maybe their own or that Miami 23 could be, you know, because nobody knows where that's going to be. We know the Warriors 2022nd is going to be good. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe uh, Golden State could swap their 2022 second, the one remaining second, throw that in there. There could be a way to equalize out some value there. Um, Any other targets here outside of this? Oh, Rashawn Holmes. Yeah. I, I, I don't think Sacramento wants to trade him though. Yeah. But I do think that he and Bagley can't play together. That, you know, if you threw that Golden State second on the table, they'd have to think very seriously about it. Sacramento has a bunch of seconds now coming up here, but that, that Golden State second is, you know, that first second pick in the in the second round, it usually ends up being pretty valuable. Holmes would be, to me, exactly what they need. Uh, that He's probably maybe the best fit of anyone that we've discussed here, and he's under contract for next year as well. So that's, Sacramento might have to think about that because now they would still have Debman, maybe Debman would just start playing again at that point. We should also talk about Debman as a possibility for Dallas. Yeah. Um, could use you Courtney know, Lee for that. D- yeah, because again, there's the not money. much opportunity cost for next year. I guess there's potentially the tax, not being able to use the full MLE. I think they'd have enough room, though, even if they were to acquire Deadman. Well, they're um, also, I mean, Dallas is probably not going to pay the tax in 21-22 because that, that's their last chance at cap space before before Luca gets his money. So I think they're paying it, in, off the top of my head, paying it in 20-21 wouldn't be that big a deal. Yeah, and you know, if they do use the MLE next year, they're probably looking at a one-year contract uh what uh, what else do these guys need i would love to see another forward for the rotation especially when porzingis plays center finney smith is really their they just don't have those defensive players i think that it's more of a long-term need but they could sure use it in the short term i had thought of that for the courtney lee contract for a while i mean there there were murmurs i think i've heard murmurs about dallas and robert covington that would be a wonderful fit for if they want to go with a porzingis at center i I wouldn't say a wonderful fit i'd say an okay fit well defensively I think having somebody like Covington would would fit a lot of their defensive stuff well, offensively. It, it, eh. So here's here's my point on Covington. He couldn't guard Jason Tatum in the playoffs two years ago. He wasn't strong enough. So yeah, that's true. He can't guard Kawhi. He can't guard LeBron. That's who they need to stop here. He keep, I Paul was George thinking of him more as a team defender. Yeah, and it's not like yeah, Finney no, he helps them. But I'm saying, but like, do you want to use up that bullet on him now, Iguodala? Because he's probably a pure rental, that Golden State second might be a little much for him. He obviously would be really helpful for them too. Doesn't shoot it as well as Covington. Um, Glenn Robinson the third might be another one they could look at. They could hope to re-sign him next year. They wouldn't have any bird rights on him though, which would be a problem. Uh, I actually would have liked Trevor Ariza okay for them because he is someone who I think can guard Kawhi, maybe LeBron. Uh, at times certainly better than anyone they have i mean we saw last night in that game which we talked about uh on last night's show just how they don't have anyone who can guard these guys you know kleba maybe but kleba's problem is he can't necessarily get over a screen as well and Kawhi even went right through him so iguodala i think they'd love to have him it's just a question of what the asset is coming back there and you know maybe maybe if they wanted to put in justin jackson and courtney lee if that would you think that could interest memphis i mean memphis has so many guys on roster with guaranteed money for next year i think jackson i don't i'm not i haven't loved him period like going back to the first time i saw him in summer league but maybe hey uh, they already shoot the most floaters in the league he can help out there he could help out there shoot even more yeah uh, the the one other need i want to bring up is i would love to see dallas either now or over the 
the summer, add one more capable initiator, especially for when Luka sits. Jalen Brunson is is a good option to have there, but, you know, relying on Seth Curry, that's not the best part of his game, and just having one other player for that role. It doesn't have to be something they give up a premium asset for, but maybe use part of that Barnes trade exception or something else just to get one more one more depth piece in there, because if Luka gets hurt or if Brunson gets hurt, it just becomes a big problem. I got some other names for you, more at the combo forward standpoint. And this is one where an Aaron Gordon trade could be awesome, but I don't know if they quite have enough juice and Gordon is still needed on the Magic. Marcus Morris, though, I mean, that the Golden State second for Marcus Morris and Courtney Lee for Marcus Morris could be good. Yeah, that's a worthwhile one. Um, And the non-bird rights could be enough. Maybe they bring him back for one more year. Yeah, a, a lower level Marvin Williams for Courtney Lee. I mean, this is actually, it's good for them that they have this kind of mid-level expiring salary for because for a lot of these teams, like we've talked about Philly, the Lakers, Boston, they don't really have enough to get a Marvin Williams. Like Marvin Williams probably should get traded. And actually, I mean, I like Marvin Williams fit pretty good with Porzingis too. And uh, he can switch. He can block some shots in the perimeter. Probably not quite good enough to guard a Kawhi or a LeBron, but, you know, can at least be half passable. I mean, Marcus Morris to me would be my number one fit there because he's kind of a power forward but he shoots it well enough to be a three uh they don't need him to like take a bunch of mid-rangers but the way he's shooting the ball from three could be good and then defensively of all the people we've talked about he probably holds up the best and because he comes with those non-bird rights and might actually stick around unlike Iguodala then maybe giving up the second is worth it for him well there's one other big benefit for of the Marcus Morris one which is if they can use Courtney Lee to get that deal done then they still have the Harrison Barnes trade exception you probably have to go lower ended center because your best asset is now yeah. gone but they could go they could do that pretty easily yeah lee and jackson for tristan thompson might be another thing i look at Cavs actually have some openings um but that's probably too much to give uh, uh the golden state pick is probably too much to give up there i mean they could go two of their own seconds maybe that could do it uh, again there's so, some of these guys are going to be available even if they're willing to give up a crappy second and lee they could probably upgrade there it, just because these teams are like well we've got nothing else here uh you know we might as well just get what we can for Tristan Thompson uh also the Denver guys would be another interesting one here I don't know if Denver wants to give those guys up to the their young rival for conference supremacy at least maybe as they see it uh also turns out uh Mason Plumlee is going to be out two to four weeks now and so maybe we'll see Hernan Gomez get more tech Hernan Gomez to me would be a nice fit here with Dallas as well he's actually been better than you would think defensively in some of these matchups and he can shoot it let's go to Memphis Memphis was to me the original kind of top team in this even though Dallas had intrigue before the Powell stuff because of what they have rather than what they need the Grizzlies are seven million below the tax they have a bunch of trade exceptions that do not expire this league year because there were trades that happened in that whirlwind in July 7.7 million 4.7 million 3.4 million to use as they want. But they have Andre Iguodala. Iguodala is not playing for the Grizzlies. He makes $17.2 million this year. So matching salary for the other team gets difficult. And then they could theoretically, with Jay Crowder, who is playing for them, they could keep him or they could trade him for value, depending on what the offers are, everything like that. But the other idea that I wanted to throw to you, and this is not exclusively because they've been playing better than expected, is this year, it seems this trade deadline, and this might be true in the offseason too, it seems like the price of adding talent is way lower lower than it's been in recent years and if that's the case i'm not saying wholesale like bring in a huge contributor but i think memphis might benefit if the price is as low as it seems like it might be for some of these guys that can actually play maybe they instead of just like 
tearing it down they just add players who are a little bit better yeah maybe do, do those are those players expiring contracts they could expire i mean that that's the difference for memphis than some of these other ones is they could actually have cap space in 2020 so yeah it uh, although it is worth noting here that they've got both melton and brooks as restricted free agents that's gonna i mean i know they have small cap holds but this is a team that's not going to want to get too close to the luxury tax again. Yeah, um, and then it's only it's only two more years after that until Jaron, and then another year after that until Ja gets his. So you don't want to push yeah. all the way up against the tax for long contracts. Yeah, because they, then it's they may end up limited to you know really one big addition on a long term contract this offseason and maybe a couple more short termers um, because because of the those issues. We'll see how much it takes to bring back brooks and melton um yeah it's so weird for them they could really go in either direction and it seemed like the plan overall was rebuild 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 hopefully they're not gonna fall into like the pelicans trap of okay let's get to be decent and go too far in that direction i still think that they have so many young guys that they want to try i would i would try to build it a little more patiently let these guys develop a little bit um i mean is there anyone that you like this could be a good one though like for uh i think either beasley or hernan gomez could be a decent fit with this group if they wanted to give something up what do they have in terms of assets they owe that first to boston which is either going to be this year or next year but they do have the utah one from the Connolly trade it's likely that one is going to convey in 2021 because it's double-sided protection between now and then um actually it might be 22 let me check yeah it's 22 you're talking about the the utah yes. pick it's double yeah it's double-sided for two years and then becomes single-sided right yeah it's only if utah misses the playoffs but isn't in the top eight the next two years so yeah um and they've also got that golden state pick going forward as well that's 2024 top four protected don't see them trading any of those firsts but if you have a couple extra draft picks maybe you feel a little better about trading a second i still see them more likely to be sellers though uh although i do think the idea of them buying is interesting i think they only do that for a player that they would see as potentially re-signing and being part of their core i don't see them necessarily trying to upgrade for this year they do have their mid-level though uh they are seven million below the tax so maybe you could see on the buyout market that they could oh no i'm sorry they don't have their mid-level they use on ties show um they have their biannual which could still be more money than some of these other teams can offer with the minimum let's talk about crowder and iguodala though those are the two obvious guys that they want to trade iguodala hasn't even been there you, you would imagine they'll ultimately trade him for whatever the best offer is this is one where you don't necessarily have to worry about pissing off the player by having him be in the media you can be very public john and i talked about this that sometimes you can't necessarily publicly auction a guy off as much but this this way they really can and so they should be able to uh, play teams against one another a little bit more than you normally could and so i think the best package harkless and the clippers first if that comes i think they'll be very happy if they can get that golden state second from dallas and courtney lee i think they'd be very happy i don't know the lakers can't really match the salary to trade for them unless they do that stair step thing and do it with a bunch of aggregate together a bunch of salary which would be difficult because memphis uh you know i think they'd be willing to move caboclo in one of these deals but outside of that and he is a a minimum contract which helps there so another team could take him back 
and he I, actually i would if i had to say who's most likely to get traded on this team i'd probably say Kabaklo, um just due to matching salary and roster spots because whether it's iguodala or crowder if you had to guess what where does iguodala end up i think he doesn't have the power to leverage a non-buy to, to leverage a buyout because there are lots of teams yeah he would have done that already exactly did, so i'm gonna say the clippers I, I think that there is this, do they give up the first i think they do i think they give May, up the, maybe it ends up be, do clippers have any extra seconds i forget they have detroit's 2021 and 23 yeah so maybe it ends up being those two seconds that get traded for iguodala rather than their first this year yeah but the, the clippers to me they have the motivation not only of to get Iguodala who could help them and make life easier on Kawhi and Paul George give them different wrinkles but keeping him away from the Lakers would be incredibly valuable yeah and yeah but I don't think they have to give up the first because there just isn't another offer out there I don't think anyone else is coming with the first you might be right but the margin between that Clippers first and Detroit's second if they if things are going the way it looks like that margin might be pretty tight especially if next year's draft is better than this one like I like that Detroit second a lot though that's I, true I, yeah, love, I mean the though I do are love the rookie scale. Rebuildy. yeah it feels that way doesn't it yeah well so maybe it's only one of those seconds then because uh, I just or or I it could be think... one of those and one of the Clippers own or something like that. there there are other ways to do it yeah now maybe the Clippers would prioritize Marcus Morris hey uh would the Clippers be able to get I mean, and this isn't the Clippers section, I realize that, but uh, they might even be able to go for Marcus Morris and Iguodala, although the question of salary matching might get a little rough there. Hey, you could probably do Magru- uh, Jermichael Green and Magruder, Jerome Robinson. Like, it's not impossible. Um, I think if you're going to do two trades like that, one of them is going to be for a big. It's going to be what? For a big. Yeah, maybe. Uh, I just don't think there are that many bigs out there that really help them that much. Yeah, that's the difference between what Dallas is looking for and what the Clippers are looking for is the quality difference. You know, right. Clippers are looking for some who can be a part of the closing five and dallas not really at that level yeah i mean you got to basically be better than harrell and zubach yeah uh, well, which you're not gonna get but let's go to jay crowder i mean this that is a more complicated well, well all right let's let's finish up with iguodal so so because uh, he's been the subject of speculation let's take a position on this you think he's going to the clippers i think that's most likely yes i think so too also because the clippers could might have some scintilla of hope that they're going to re-sign him whereas dallas would have zero and so i and philly i'm sure would love him uh boston would love him lakers would love him they just can't get the salary together so uh, and you don't really want to give up a first so yeah i i predict that he goes to the clippers and that they won't have to give up a first for him i'm gonna say that they do not that, okay. not because they have to i think there's gonna be a little bit of a bidding war and they're gonna feel the pressure because of how but, specifically well, yeah but who's where's yeah, but, the other bid coming from you know i the iguodala has fans throughout the league i think that that somebody could be a little bit reckless and it is true that the clippers have been more judicious about- who is somebody though you, like you, you always say that but we, we need to know who actually that is i mean the sixers could try to do something they can't aggregate together enough salary yeah i guess they can't really the lakers can't like that's what i'm saying like there's it's basically you know i mean maybe like denver could get in on it but but here's the thing like if he's not going to stay there and you're not a i mean maybe you can justify giving up a first if he's going to put you in a championship contention this this year i don't know that he even does that for denver i don't think he would want to stay in denver so if he's if it's only a rental for this year he's not going to put you in a championship contention you can't justify giving up a first for that in my opinion and so the clippers i mean he might be worth the first to them just to keep him away from everyone else in the buyout market and the potential chance of resigning him but if they're working on pretty good information and this is going to be really interesting for their front office of do they call memphis's bluff and say no like it's one of these detroit seconds at best or maybe one of our own 
Jones are, you know, something much more lower level. Or, you know, you got to take Jerome Robinson, too, in this deal. But then they, they, da- I, I mean, don't think it's, yeah. I think they can make a credible argument that the Golden State's 2020 second. I mean, remember, we're making a bet about that. Yeah, but I don't think Dallas is going to give that up. I think they'll say it's too much, or they would rather have Marcus Morris. Who you could potentially re-sign and is younger and also shoots the ball. So that's what that's why I don't think they get the first, but I still think he goes to the Clippers because there's just there isn't the market there. I don't think. Now Memphis, I'm sure will try to say that Dallas is in on it or something. I but I still don't think they will be at that price. But that's that's my prediction. Are you, did I convince you or uh, nope. you uh, you still think they they give up the first? I, I think I think you're the Clippers are very good at using leverage and they've been they've done a nice job of not. I mean, other than the Paul George trade where they gave up a shitload. <laughs> yes, um, but. I think the difference for them of Iguodala and everybody else, I think, is is going to be worth it because if he's there, then he's nowhere else. And so I think they're going to eventually get it, especially the reason. And I changed my opinion on this a few weeks ago is because I don't think the urgency to get a big is as as high and that the right the right guy might not be available, period. Um, But let's go on to Jay Crowder. I mean. Crowder is a more important part of what the Grizzlies are doing right now. Bird rights might <laughs> well, well, it'd be hard for him to be a less important part. Right. And <laughs> and Crowder, bird rights would could be enough. I don't know what Crowder wants in his next destination. Uh, so they could keep him. I think that it, it isn't a fait accompli like it is for Iguodala that just get what you can and, and run out. So the, how I, I'm thinking about this is, where is the threshold for you? Is it a solid second? You know, like a, a top 40 second that you'd be willing to give up to get him off this team this year? Because he's helping them right now he is but i i thought when i saw melton morant brooks clark jackson all together and i saw them beat houston without crowder i thought you know what if i could get something good for him i w- might still be willing to move him i don't know if he's he just the, especially with his limited shooting i'm not sure that he does that much for you i might be like a real second i think i might still do it if i were him or if it were a a real young prospect coming back they could potentially resign i'm not saying he doesn't have value for them but yeah this is all a question of are they really going to maximize because they might take a little bit of a hit going for the playoffs this is also one probably where simply how they play over even the next two weeks could determine this right if they're sort of like all right now nah, we just lost three four straight we're out of it phoenix and san antonio and new orleans are surging ahead of us and you know we got a 15 percent chance of making it so why why not just get what we can for crowder or if they win their next four games and it's like yeah we're the favorite for the eighth seed we can't make our team worse right now I think that's going to determine a lot here with Crowder. But for you, what's what would you assuming they continue on and they're kind of in the same place as they are here right now? Top forty. What second. would it take? Top forty second. I think that'd be fine. Yeah, I'd be happy. Yeah, I'd be happy, and, I'd be happy this year or next. You know that. Let's say theoretically that uh, something like that Detroit second that'd be fine for me. Yeah, or, or maybe an equivalent young player that intrigues them to some degree. Yeah. Who would want Crowder? I mean, I, like I'd put him well below Iguodala and Morris in the hierarchy but his salary is easier to match so that's nice yeah boston seems like a a, an intriguing destination yeah because he is smaller salary there so uh, yeah if i i I think that would be uh that would be interesting now who is it It, would it be if they wanted to send back like carson edwards and vincent poirier would you do that or do you need more than that hmm edwards I mean, he was a second last year. And they could use a like a pure bomber. They could. Tough fit next to Jaw. Tough fit next to Tyus Jones defensively. Boston also has... Oh, no, they have Brooklyn's 2020 second. They have the less favorable in that deal. The Sixers get the better one. So, yeah, yeah maybe... it's still maybe, not a bad Yeah, second. maybe Carson Edwards and that pick. Eh. 
and, and Poirier. And Poirier you can get to, off of Poirier for next Poirier. year if you're Boston, who's going to be in the tax probably. I, that's not bad. Yeah, that's kind of the level I think it would be for Crowder. Mm-hmm, same. Anything else on these guys? I don't. I know we've gone long on both these teams, but they're they're pretty fascinating. We we may not go as long on uh, on the Spurs here. Let's see if we can uh, bang them out real quick. Yeah, the Spurs. They're eight point eight million below the tax. They don't have trade exceptions, but they do still have three point seven million of their mid level, and they have all their own first and no extras. And then the only pick they owe is a twenty twenty two second to the Cavs. I don't know what they want. I don't know if there's any reasonable move for them to make. It seems like they just kind of have to play out the string now that they guaranteed Aldridge for next year and they just don't know what's going on with DeRozan. Yeah, I still think they're probably the most likely eighth seed team for me right now. DeRozan has been playing ridiculously well. I mean, this might have been the most efficient month of his career. Aldridge is shooting threes. I mean, their defense still isn't that great. Looked a little better to me just subjectively, but the numbers are not amazing. I don't see them making a move to try and get better. They never make in-season trades. Is this section over now? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, you could imagine Uh, a different team maybe trying to make some harder decisions. They have Pirtle as a pending restricted free agent. Then they have the white DeJounte Murray thing, but I, I'm guessing they're going to kick all those cans down the road and see what they have in, in those yeah. guys. Uh, and maybe they would be, I, I wonder if anyone would send them a, buff, a bucket of golf balls for Jamari Carroll. Yeah, maybe. And I, I think they want to keep Rudy Gay and Patty Mills. I can imagine Mills having some, you know, he's a little bit overpaid, but stable point guards have value. Uh, I mean, he's shooting like, he's having these games where he's shooting like 12 threes in 23 minutes. I know, like, it's amazing. Like, and he shot it really well this year, but yeah, he, he's 13 million for next year uh yeah i I think there are definitely teams that could use him but again you know i don't see them necessarily trying to get off of him now if they were five games worse than they were they weren't necessarily the favorite for the ac they're probably definitely the favorite for the ac in their own minds then maybe things would be a little bit different here marco bellinelli maybe someone else they could look to move uh make six million i know he's still part one of these pop legacy guys he wants to at least have someone that he can hold over the head of Lonnie Walker. Um, I, I mean, I think that the thought is just that Carroll might just be done with those knees. Um, and he does have 1.3 million guaranteed even going into the 21-22. So that's not amazing. He's probably a negative. They don't have much motivation to get off of him. I don't see anyone like really wanting to trade for him. And it could be a somewhat interesting Boston guy, but then that's 6 million for next year when they're probably going to be in the tax. I don't know if they're... Yeah, I, I don't think he's good enough to justify the expenditure that yeah. would eventually uh, I, I mean maybe maybe Poirier could come back there I don't know how Boston is feeling about Poirier I'm guessing pretty terrible since he hasn't he's like 26 and he hasn't played even when they've had all these center injuries but maybe they could just say you know we'll get Damari Carroll for four million for next year and take a chance on him essentially because you're you're getting off of Poirier's salary yeah maybe Let, let's move on to the Rockets <laughs> <laughs> The the Rockets. So if you, Come on. all right, all right, let's. Well, first of all, we haven't done most likely to be traded for any of these teams. So no. uh, most likely to be traded would be, uh, you know, uh, a pair of Greg Popovich's khakis that he wears uh, that don't match with his his uh, his suit jacket, or uh, you know, maybe uh, you know a pair of the Coyotes pants, <laughs> something like that uh, for this team. Um, who who do we say for the Mavs? Courtney Lee. Gotta be Courtney I would Lee, say Courtney right? Lee because they could just cut broke off. He doesn't have to be included yeah. in a trade. Uh, and then Grizz, I'm going to actually say Caboclo over Iguodala or Crowder just because I could see him being in either one of those deals. I'm going to say Iguodala. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I'm because there, there, there are going to be offers with value on the table and he's not playing for them. So, yeah, I mean, I guess if it's like if you're Memphis and you're rational, you would just even take like Dallas's own second if it finally comes down to it, yeah. even though that might be I mean, it, 
Hodge and I talked about this that uh, sometimes maybe if you just the offer is so bad that you just hold on to the guy who has no value for you just to create some leverage for yourself in future negotiations <laughs> <laughs> like at, once you get to the point of the Dallas second maybe you would just do that even although he would be like that would just piss him and his agency off so much to just like not even buy him out after that yeah I don't I don't think it's I don't think it's worth it um but let's go on to the Rockets so if you treat Nene as not being on their books at all he has that contract which is structured with a lot of likely bonuses but then the league ruled that he counts at the basically at the minimum for trade purposes if you take Nene off entirely he is the most likely player to be traded in the entire NBA because of that structure then the Rockets are 2.7 million below the tax they have a bunch of small trade exceptions 3.6 3.2 and 1.6 million that all expire at the deadline they also still have most of their mid-level exception ownership is the biggest competitive advantage in the NBA and I think if they do anything, it's going to be more, other than trading in A, which they almost definitely will do, they definitely will do it. There, there'll be moves around the margin. Maybe, maybe, maybe they would go into the tax this year because, especially with Portland cutting as much as they did, the tax distribution that you're forgoing by going into the tax isn't that much. Now, do I see them going $5 million in the tax? Probably not, especially with supposedly all this lost revenue from China this year. Um, I mean, I agree with you. They're more likely than not to try and stay under. But they've got the the cash to get off of Gerald Green and Nene and give themselves a little more breathing room. But that's more breathing room for buyout guys. And the big problem for these guys is just the total lack of matching salary. Uh, I mean, they definitely have a ton of needs. I mean, their depth is uh, rather limited. But but still not as pronounced as last year when they got you know when they when they've gotten other buyout players because of the needs at at, you know like when they got Austin Rivers in the first place and a few other guys. But they do still need players. I don't think they're as sexy a buyout destination now with some of the other teams that are on the market yeah so they were rumored to be involved with robert covington i think that would have been extremely difficult for them to do with the the matching salary available i mean let's just go through what they have here in terms of potential matching salary i mean the only people who are really you know unless they're going to move pj tucker which i wouldn't recommend for robert covington daniel house is in their rotation too they prefer to hold on to him he makes 3.5 million austin rivers 2.1 ben mclemore 2.0 those guys are also in their rotation they want to trade down the rotation guys so you're really down to just minimum contracts at that point and so i mean i guess if they were gonna do maybe there's someone else they would have gotten it while they traded tucker as well but that doesn't seem to make sense to me um crowder could certainly be someone that they might look at uh if he's available a guy i really like for them is reggie bullock because he only makes four million that's one where they could actually you know you could just put green green and nene and reggie bullock and now would you trade a first for that Bullock does have the advantage of being non-guaranteed, I think, for next year. Is that right? Did they do that structure with him when they redid it? Yeah. Yeah, he's uh, $4.2 million non-guaranteed for next year. I might think about that. Um, they can trade their 2020 and 2022 firsts. I mean, it, it, giving up a first for Reggie Bullock seems tough, but they just desperately need more guys. It's just a, kind of a question of like, okay, is he really going to be that much of an upgrade over Rivers or Macklemore or Daniel House? Eh, maybe not. But then you also get off of Nene and Green, and you don't necessarily have to give up the cash in that scenario. Maybe there's something else that could come back from the Knicks as well in that deal. Maybe like the, you get Damian Dotson too. That would probably put them in the tax. <laughs> but uh, GR3 would also be a great fit for them. I don't know if they want to trade them uh, or if uh, Golden State wants to trade them. 
Bertans could be interesting. I don't think they're going to give up what it takes to get Bertans. You don't think their 2022 first could could do that? I think it could. I, mean, I, I just still, don't think Mori's going to give yeah. it up. I mean, Bertans would be so... Like, actually having that real knockdown shooter on this team, because Eric Gordon apparently isn't that anymore, and that would be pretty nice. He, he does cause them some problems defensively. And we can uh, presume, and we Morris, can presume they yeah, wouldn't sorry. resign bertans due to tax concerns yeah maybe which is such a shame yeah if you're not gonna re if you're not getting anything for his bird rights who knows maybe, maybe they would pay uh markeith morris is someone i think would be interesting now he does have three million for next year but he's been playing a little bit better he's just a, another body he could play some backup center for them in some of these groups as well what do you think of that one i like that better i they obviously wouldn't have to give up a first in that deal so maybe maybe they could find something yeah. that works there uh, i mean and then you could do the nene and gerald green and i mean their own second eh, that might if you, if you probably do a deep out detroit would probably prefer a deep out second and then maybe there's a chance that ends up being better you know like 24 or something yeah. like that I mean, maybe they have some interest in isaiah hartenstein i think the i think the rockets want to keep him um yeah rockets uh, are missing their 2020 and 22 seconds i mean i don't think hartenstein like he's okay he's playing better he's giving them something in the regular season he's just he's too slow for the playoffs to me so uh i also thought that maybe uh jordan bell or noah vonley could help them just something more as a backup center who could be a switch guy and neither of those guys are really playing in minnesota you could those guys could be maybe part of the fodder for uh nene gerald green trade or i mean you could tell minnesota we're going to save you a fair amount of money and just take them on straight out and do it structure it where minnesota's not getting the player back yeah uh not that minnesota you know they're they're 10 million under the tax anyway yeah yeah so they're, they're probably good there and yeah i mean it would be nice if they had some kind of an asset between their own seconds and their own first that gets kind of harder to calibrate this sometimes where but well, yeah and they just even, don't have marketable like those flyer type young talent like that's the other way you can grease up deals like this and they just don't have those yeah. guys either yeah well they uh haven't had a first round pick in uh quite most likely to be traded no no most likely guy in the entire league that's right let's get to new orleans now very interesting situation for them were widely presumed to be a potential seller as they started the season i think it was six and 22 but now they actually it could be more likely that they're buyers yeah and they they definitely have the means to make that happen the pelicans are 15 million below the tax and while they do not have a trade exception in the conventional sense they do have a walking trade exception that is darius miller uh, i wrote about this for those who are interested at the athletic back around when they signed him because it was it looked pretty clear that it was a contract that was signed with the intention of being traded miller then subsequently got hurt so he is unavailable so it is just straight dead salary miller makes 7.3 million this year and then has a fully non-guaranteed 7 million for next year so it is that salary and the reason that becomes notable for the Pels is that they're in this area where they could either be in under the cap team have a modest amount of cap space in 2020 or they could go over and going over has a couple benefits for them most notably then you could use the bird rights on Derek Favors Etwan Moore or both to retain those players and and you could use the larger mid-level and so for me using Darius Miller's contract to add a depth piece potentially with a multi-season component would be a huge benefit because you're replacing somebody who is not playing with someone who can't now one thing that we're gonna have to seriously consider for them is potential taxi issues even as soon as next year because brandon ingram is going to get the max his cap hold is 21 million but you're probably better off just penciling in the 29 for him that it's going to be for the max i don't see him making an all nba team this year but which would really complicate matters but if you throw in 29 million as your figure for next year for ingram they're basically right at the cap it gives them about 
25 million to work with below the tax if they want to re-sign favors which they probably would i don't think they're ready to give jackson hayes the keys yet as a starting center you know favors is probably gonna be at least 10 million maybe even a little bit more than that you would think they might have to go a little bit above the mid-level to get him and then if they want to use the mid-level you're at pretty close to the tax uh, when you consider just having to have some maneuvering room they also have frank jackson and kenrick williams as restricted free agents probably can manage to bring those guys back on you know a couple million dollar a year deals should they desire to do so they're probably going to lose each one more in free agency but he has kind of been in the rotation for them we'll see how zion changes that because brandon ingram presumably will play more three after that and you know maybe more as someone who could then be expendable for them so all of that said here is just things to keep in mind what do they need I would love another small forward on this team, somebody who can play the three. Another might be the wrong word for it. A small forward on this team. Ingram yeah, looks they have, to me. They have one right now. It's Brandon Ingram. Yeah, and he's. I like him better as a four. So yeah. adding I, another... I, I think he's fine as a three now, actually, because he can shoot it. Because he can shoot. But yeah, defensively, I, I, I think more. he's, I, in many ways, I like him better on fours just because he doesn't really use his strength anyway, and a lot of the more physical guys end up actually playing the three, as weird as that sounds. But yeah. yeah uh, he can't get through a screen, which makes it a little more exactly. difficult on the perimeter. So, so yeah that's another reason i think of him as a four so that would be a great a great place to go and the pels are still figuring out their rotation so just another piece to fit in i'd also like to see them get depending on what happens with favors a sturdy defensive center so jackson hayes is bouncy and and i think he has a place in the league but i like the idea of having centers with different strengths and weaknesses depending on who you're facing and it's still too early to say oh they need this guy for joel Embiid or anything like that but just to have somebody who can fill that niche who is relatively close to the age range of this team they'll be good capable play and the pelicans depending on how david griffin sees the holdover players on this roster you could how aggressively you go after those spots that defensive center they could go on the low end and just you know use darius miller's contract as filler and get yeah. somebody who can play taj or, gibson i think would be yeah. the sort of guy i mean because they just they need with favors he's always in and out of the lineup zion's not gonna be playing back-to-backs Melly, you don't know how he's going to fit with Zion. I think they want to play those guys together. Uh, Hayes, you don't know how he's going to fit with Zion. He can't stop anybody. Jill Okafor, uh, never known for his defense. He's got plenty of injury problems. Even Kenrick Williams has been out for eight straight games with this back issue. So with all that i think that just getting another adult nba big on this team will really be important even if that guy ends up being mostly insurance uh you need insurance when uh, Derek favors and zion are your starting four and five and what makes the pelicans different than a lot of these teams is if there's a parallel here to oklahoma city when we talked about them about a week ago that if the pelicans want to use small resources to make this happen they can because they have so much so not only do the pelicans have all their own firsts they also have a bunch from they have they have lakers picks and swaps more in the distant future but then the more important part as a practical consideration because i can't think of players that are worth the pelicans firsts that are really available in season those would be more july june trades than now is that they have six extra seconds beyond all their own the best of those for me are cleveland and washington in 2021 and cleveland in 2022 and those are pretty desirable picks i mean they're going to be 
towards the top as we would as we project it right now and teams could be interested in that so they can and they also have a crap ton of young players who would have interest if they were ready to move on from some of them and remember that the Pelicans this is a big challenge for David Griffin is when they acquired Ingram and Ball and Josh Hart those were not players in their first NBA season those guys are getting their raises right away Brandon Ingram getting it in a matter of months and then Lonzo and, and Josh Hart so they need to make decisions on those players quickly and if they don't want to keep them that's totally fine but they can get assets now or in in july yeah they also have uh dd who's playing in australia is the 35th overall pick this year so yeah they, they've got a lot of ammo to go get guys um if they were to move Etuan more maybe reggie bullock is someone that could potentially interest them if they were to move jj reddick maybe wayne ellington would be someone that would potentially interest them that's another thing too for me with reddick is they really want him as a vet leader apparently of course they're always going to say that until the moment they trade him uh but he, he is an important fit with Zion, and that's really the, determining how important all these players are with Zion williamson they just don't know that yet really you know maybe the melly williamson front court it's like unbelievable uh, offensively uh, or it maybe it just all grinds to a halt because you don't have enough shooting and you need reddick now the fact that lonzo and ingram are shooting the ball better makes me feel a lot better about potentially moving on from reddick but they want to make the playoffs this year. He's definitely really important. If another t- Hollinger is saying this, if another team put like a real first on the table for him, then you might have to start to think about it. Would you consider doing that? You know, if say it was Philly and they're uh, the first first that they can trade, which I, I forget what it is. Uh, but you know, that type of a pick, you know, a, a projected in the twenties first rounder in the next couple of years, does that make you want to move Reddick? The value of knowing because there aren't that many players at Reddick's level that like him i think that the value of that information is so high that it would probably have to be around that range for me to consider it unless you could like somehow swing that first to get Landry Shamit which in that case then you get younger Reddick on a cheaper contract that's I mean not that Shamit is that good yet but he has that kind of profile and I don't think the Clippers are doing that for the record but I don't my instinct is that it wouldn't because if it's not now then when and I I can't trust that the next JJ Reddick will be available in the next year or two so you might as well get that information now there might be a cost to knowing that but it could be but if, if you know if you need shooting around Zion in the worst way and and Griffin has the tools to remake this roster, so th- I don't think they're going to be haunted by missing out on one middle of the road late first in a bad draft. Maybe they could go with one of these seconds that are pretty good and try to trade Miller and maybe some filler salary for both Bullock and Ellington. Yeah. And that might even make more expendable if someone else wanted to go in that direction. Just because they just need a little bit more here. Now, maybe not. And maybe that makes Reddick expendable as well. But Reddick's under contract is the same amount. Nah, that's a dumb idea the more I think about it. Because they also remember they got Nikhil Alexander-Walker and Josh Hart already, right? who they really so i think bring in someone who's not a pure three i don't know that that really does it for you and they're getting by with you know playing hard at the three on some of these backup units so right. and, and they're not the dallas yeah. mavericks where they've already reached a higher level so they need to solve some of these problems now because dallas is going to be in the playoffs and have some expectations the pelicans can figure it out this year and it's not too big a problem yeah so i, I mean to be clear i think more likely than not they don't make any kind of a major move Agreed. um anything else you had uh, I, I mean i think the, the the move that to make 
that's most important to me is just getting that other adult nba big i think that could be if favors goes down you just you gotta have that guy you know they want to be able to not have to play favors too many minutes i mean i think zion's gonna get some minutes at backup center but again you know his fragility here as well uh, they're gonna ease him along slowly yeah, and, and uh, miller's yeah. and miller's an easy mechanism for that because of trade matching rules around his salary so it it, it kind of tied dovetails with the conversation we're having before with dallas about those guys that teams aren't super down on or, or they are zealously holding on to them so more in that kind of level of conversation rather than the you know getting a cornerstone because jackson hayes and, and maybe even Derek favors are going to be and zion i think he might end up being a five eventually too those guys are going to be ahead of this player in the pecking order moving forward and in the present to an extent oh uh, one other quick thing is there an offer that you think could be on the table for drew holiday that would make you end that experiment early i mean he he has a player option for 21 22 he's under contract in full for next year or do you just need to play out that string a little longer yeah i mean i think when they were six and 22 they were thinking about it a lot more realistically i don't see them even i mean this is one of those things again like i was talking about with hollinger where all right maybe if you really put it out there to the league and you didn't have to worry about anyone's feelings or anything you just be like hey you know maybe there's some crazy offer here but it's one of those deals where it probably just never even gets to the point of, of being talked about. And hey, you know, two first round picks, does that really help you that much right now? If you're the Pals, I don't think so. And they're, they don't have another way to get a point guard as good as him. He's excellent defensively. They really need that. So no, I, I don't see the, that happening. And also it seems like one of those things where are you going to get that much more from now than in the summer? There doesn't seem to be any contender that is just going to like go crazy for him and is going to, you know, they'll offer you a couple of their late seconds and it's like or, or i'm sorry late first and it's like all right what is this what do we need with us so no i i, I don't see anything realistic at this point in time um most likely to be traded is miller absolutely that's yeah. basically what his contract was for uh, let's catch up on some news here mostly injury related but we know that that is uh important to you um in washington we'll start at the bottom here Riachimura is just doing some light work with trainers in practice he was doing a little bit of shooting but man i mean that's been a month now since that groin injury and you know you have to imagine it's still going to be a matter of weeks before he can get back on the floor especially in this lost season for washington very interesting uh my partner on the other pod john hollinger reporting that the final year of royce o'neill's deal remember it was a four-year 36 million dollar deal is only 2.5 million dollars guaranteed which makes that deal look even better for utah and um, that sort of player we mentioned kind of the fragility of the three and d player where if either of those slips a little bit you can get a guy who goes from being a very solid rotation piece to kind of you know barely playable and so that provides and also those players as reliant as they are on athleticism they can slip pretty easily you know the the fringier a player is the worse he can get for you as even you know a 30 or 31 year old so getting that non-guarantee uh is pretty useful there and, and makes it look like an even better deal for utah and i i had thought too that usually in an extension it's like all right you got to take a discount on what you'd be getting we talked about that four year 42 at the mid-level exception working as a baseline for what he might have gotten this summer and maybe you would say he only would have gotten three years at the mid-level uh he's still able to get a little bit more than that guaranteed with with this deal uh but it is now it's not only is it 
six million less overall but then you you get less money guaranteed so uh no i guess he's right around where he could have gotten for that three-year mid-level uh with the total guaranteed we hear this more in the summer but it's also a reminder of that when you hear the initial terms for for a deal there's very distinct chance that there will be something less favorable for the player that you hear further on in the conversation so that that's always good to have in the back of your mind yeah because those that always 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 comes from agents the absolutely first and they're and, gonna, and teams, they're gonna I mean, go big top line number that that's yeah. how it works yeah and teams have no incentive to leak that they did better right i mean i you know maybe their executives want to want that note eventually but that's going to get out there and the agents are the one who want to crow about it so anytime a deal comes out in the media it's always going to be more favorable to player because it's coming from the agent side uh, an exciting piece of news i guess we could cite it to damian lillard jason quick is who i saw it from that lillard said yusuf nurkic took part in full practice today we don't have any context on that we don't i haven't seen anything that changes nurkic's timeline but any news like this is good news for the blazers and for nurkic who had that horrifying leg injury late last year yeah great for him and i'm hopeful that he can get back you know, we haven't seen it with Gordon Hayward, but Nurkic's wasn't, it didn't involve the joint as much. Nurkic also is a lot bigger, so there's going to be more of a pounding aspect. I'm sure they'll be very conservative about the minutes and the backs-to-backs, etc. I would be shocked if he plays before the All-Star break, though. I think it just, it makes so much sense to get him back into the swing of things and have that happen, you know, and then have him get a little bit of chance to rest, too, over the break. So, like, playing him one or two games before the break doesn't make a ton of sense. Uh, CJ McCollum didn't play Monday day against the warriors he's officially day-to-day haven't heard an update on his status but he did get ruled out in advance of these last couple of games so if i had to guess i think he would miss some time here still going forward uh that didn't look like a great ankle sprain for him when it happened because uh, i think that was the one where he actually came down on someone as opposed to it taking a step yeah the latest on cj is he did a shooting workout so not a full practice today wednesday uh, as we record this also terry stott said that trevor Reza will probably probably start at small forward that was to be expected with the trade involving Kent Bazemore in Phoenix Aaron Baines will not play on Wednesday against the Indiana Pacers and DeAndre Ayton has done really well since returning to the starting lineup which is so great to see yeah he's averaging 26 and like 15 basically over his last two games and the plus minuses haven't been bad um yeah Baines this is more soreness for him in this hip Uh, he dealt with a calf injury earlier and so he really uh, getting Aiton back in the starting lineup it's good that that's happening overall for the franchise he's playing well enough to deserve it Uh, and Baines really you know with his rough and tumble style the fewer minutes you can play him and try and keep him healthy the better Orlando uh, I mentioned that they had suffered a ton of calamities this year but it really doesn't matter because there's nobody in their rear view, rear view mirror right now for the playoffs. Even the Nets uh, are well behind him. But DJ Augustin, bone irritation in his left knee. He's going to be reevaluated in three to four weeks. Had not played as well this year. Markel Fultz had usurped him in the starting lineup pretty early on. And so Fultz is going to get all he can eat uh, in terms of minutes uh, and shots with some of the other guys uh, that they have out as well. But this one, I mean, bone irritation. That's one where I'm not going to expect him necessarily even to come back back right at that three or four week mark either uh that seems like the type of thing that could potentially linger markel fultz's former team has joel Embiid still out uh, but he has been cleared for non-contact work he's going to be reevaluated in about a week the sixers have done very well in his absence but Embiid is still so important to what they're doing yeah five and two ben simmons uh, maybe had the best game of his career on monday against the nets okc man they were pretty limited in terms of depth going into the season
season. You thought maybe the one place they had enough was at center, but Steven Adams as of now questionable against the magic uh, on wednesday night he's had to leave after only a few minutes against the rockets with, with his left ankle nerlens noel had a left ankle sprain missed about six games i think came back uh but then was unable to play due to left ankle soreness on money against the rockets they still won with mike muscala basically as the only big and a kind of embarrassing loss for the rockets who led it pretty substantially in the second half and then abdel nader who is kind of their backup four at this point uh he's He's not going to play it looks like with a sprained left ankle he's missed a few games as well so okc i mean they are mike muscala is the only big on this roster right now and they're starting lou dort uh at essentially the four uh, it's uh chris paul is gonna have to be guarding a lot of fours in his future i think again but once again they're lucky enough that there's nobody quite in their rearview mirror as of now jump to brooklyn the nets are dealing with a rash of hamstring tightness wilson chandler and Kyrie both missed their their game against philly on monday with that i haven't heard a timeline yet on them but garrett temple is back which is good yeah well, well they played for the nets so you're not ever going to hear yeah that's true and fortunately deandre jordan who suffered his own finger dislocation that middle finger in a game we were doing for the nba cast uh he does not need surgery which is great but he's uh going to be reevaluated at some point in the next week and we'll see what the timeline is there yeah in fact he's been upgraded to questionable on thursday good. against the the lakers irving he is now actually probable to play against the lakers supposedly it was a precautionary absence uh but keep an eye on that hamstrings are tricky uh, as we always say for atlanta alex len has missed four straight with a back issue now questionable for tonight against the clippers i'm gonna guess he probably doesn't play though you will know whether i was right about that or not and trey young also got hit in the thigh in that game where they came back against toronto it was one of the rare games that game where the leading team actually takes their starters out first and then young hit a four-point play they still were down 11 with like a minute 30 left they got back never actually got a chance to tie it and i had tweeted something hilariously with like five minutes left and them down by 20 or 25 of like how this is the type the kind of time of year when players who are gunning for the all-star team stay in games that are blowouts on both sides frankly and then everyone started tweeting like oh yeah well you know this is you're such a moron they got back within three i'm like number one they did that because toronto took all their guys out and then they brought their guys back in and they still never actually had a chance to tie it uh number two they pressed and toronto turned it over eight billion times in a row and number three they still didn't actually win the game I and mean, that's your 99 percent outcome they still didn't actually win so if you want to say it's actually worth it to leave them in eh, okay but remember that that's your pretty much your best outcome and they still lost um uh, just yeah. quickly, a couple of disabled player exception new pieces of news. The Pistons were granted one for Blake Griffin. That is up to $9.2 million. I don't think they'll use the full amount. And remember, the disabled player exception has specific rules on it. The player, they can, you can be used to sign somebody or trade for somebody, but that player has to be in the last year of their contract. No exceptions, no options, nothing like that. So the Pistons got a $9.2 million one for Blake Griffin, and the Magic received a $4.6 million disabled player exception for Al Farouk Aminu we'll, we'll who see actually I, had his surgery by the way I don't know if we if we ever uh got got to that that's actually the first that I've heard of that I don't know if that ever got like tweeted out in the the channels that I see yeah and, and since we're talking about disabled player exceptions worth noting that the the last day a team can apply for it is January 15th so Dallas cannot apply for it for Dwight Powell but they do have the the expiring Harrison Barnes trade exception so it's you know it would be nice to have a second one but they can use that so and this torn meniscus for Alfred Camino 
He's be reevaluated in 12 weeks. So he's done for the year. That's why the disabled player exception was granted. Sounds then like that's probably the re- meniscus repair. And I'm guessing also that's why they tried to go the rehab route first because they were always going to do the repair rather than the trimmer. The trim is kind of your standard six to eight weeks but if they're and so it would have made sense for him if that was the surgery to undergo that immediately and then try and get back this year but if that wasn't going to be the surgery i guess they figured they're going to try and rehab it but he experienced that setback and now he's gonna uh you know we'll see him next year hopefully um also worth noting that dallas it is too late for them to get a disabled player exception for dwight powell the last day to apply for that is january 15th let's go to denver they have their own walking wounded situation jamal murray and with his ankle issue and gary harris with his adductor issue are both out indefinitely Millsap is gonna i think he already missed his eighth straight but to compound all of that mason plumley has a right foot injury he is going to miss two weeks to a month yeah wow and and Michael Porter is going to get all the minutes he can handle now. They don't really have a third traditional backup center outside of Bull Bull, who uh, they're basically not going to play this year. So maybe we'll see some Jeremy Grant at backup center, which he played some for Oklahoma City back in the day. Maybe we'll see a little Jared Vanderbilt. Uh, hopefully Millsap can come back soon hernan gomez should probably play more as well but i mean this is they're certainly testing this theory but part of the reason i think a lot of people felt like denver had such a high floor this year is the amount of depth that they have and uh that's uh i mean you got Jokic and a bunch of kind of high-end backups you can still win games reggie jackson is going to be back pretty soon here he's questionable for tonight against the kings derrick rose has actually been starting he, he had a stretch where he hit 22 out of 25 from two uh really has just uh, become quite the maestro with his uh floater game and finishing around the rim we'll see though i i always worry a little bit that if he's gonna play big minutes and start that things could go awry there he had been in a minutes limit seems like they're kind of throwing that out a, a little bit but with tim frazier in and out of the lineup jordan bone is, their second round pick isn't ready Luke Kennard is out and I think they can still use what Reggie Jackson can provide if he can actually be healthy and uh, he's a pending free agent he's someone his makes too much money to really be traded most likely but it, it could at least you know be playing for his future here the Warriors Kavon Looney has missed all but 10 games this year and Steve Kerr it's so bad apparently that Steve Kerr like didn't even want to comment on what's wrong with him whether it's a recurrence of this hamstring neuropathy or just overall like body failure it seems like with him I mean it's which is sad because he was playing really well last year uh but it seemed like it was quite the cascade that started when he uh got run into by Kawhi Leonard in the finals and suffered that chest contusion and then couldn't work out for a while and uh really seems like his body is just a very long way away from being able to contribute at an NBA level now and GR3 is supposed to maybe play tonight on Wednesday against the Jazz but he missed a couple with an ankle just worth noting because he's had so many ankle issues in his past in Cleveland John Henson and Brandon night both seem like they're on the shelf but that might be remember there was the talk that cleveland was going to be showcasing those players i I wouldn't shock me if this was cover to an extent maybe there you know injuries that are being a little bit overstated to say oh that's why they're not in the rotation and why they're going in a different direction but i think those will be clarified as soon as the trade deadline is passed yeah and with henson remember they were showcasing him while larry nance was out with knee soreness now uh, henson is out knight is out i think maybe they're just like saying hey we want to we're gonna list these guys as out with minor injuries as opposed to just hey they're not good enough to play for us right now <laughs> when you're trying to train which eh, maybe that's not a bad bad philosophy new orleans uh, we talked about their issues 
earlier when we talked about Zion. For the Knicks, Jenna Smith Jr. might actually play tonight. He's listed as questionable, which is the first time in a while with that strained oblique. He's been out since December. Don't think he's going to play, but at least he's trending in the right direction. And RJ Barrett suffered a sprained ankle last Friday. He's supposed to be reevaluated a week after that, so that'll be uh, two, three days from now, most likely. Milwaukee, Robin Lopez is not even traveling with the team due to an illness uh, on their trip to Paris. Probably makes sense. It's only one game, but he's going to miss out on uh, his trip to Euro Disney with Brooke Lopez, which is a shame. And Dragon Bender actually got some run against the Bulls, which more smart coaching from Mike Budenholzer. They knew that the Bulls were going to trap the pick and roll. So go ahead, throw it to Bender. One of the, one of the few things he can do, at least so far in his career, is pass. And so he made some nice passes as a pick and roll roll man. Uh, so that's it for today. Still got to talk about the best young cores in the NBA tomorrow. And then the mock trade deadline. Hopefully we'll have that for you starting next week. Also want to ask you guys a favor. If you listen to the show regularly, but maybe you can't listen to every episode, you mind just set your podcast player to automatically download us anyway on a Wi-Fi network. Doesn't really cost you anything and would help us out a little bit. I know we have a a lot of content and people are busy, but uh, we appreciate the support in that way. And I think that'll do it. We'll talk to you all tomorrow. Till then.